Father, you are, um, you are good, um, and you do good. We have sung your glories through your Son uh, by the power of your Spirit already. I pray that uh, more than anything else this morning, these um, church members need, I need uh, to hear your word. We need encouragement. We are um, broken uh, over our sin, over difficulties, over things that we want to control that we can't control. We are uh, we need conviction over things that we are not convicted about. We do not give you lordship in these areas of life. Lord, we need to hear from you. And as we know from Isaiah 55, um, you never fail to hit your mark with your word. You, your, your word never uh, falls empty. It always accomplishes what you want it to do. So I pray that you do the miraculous thing with your word that only you can do. I, I cannot do anything once it goes from my mouth. Only you do it. You do it in these people's hearts. And so come, we pray. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be uh, in verses 11 and 12 um, as you're getting there. So yeah, huge honor for me to be here. I've known Lane uh, for a little over four years now, I think, something in that range, uh, and have only grown in respect uh, for him and for his pastoral ministry here. So it's an honor uh, to, to be here, and I don't say that lightly. So I, I really take this seriously, um, and I'm honored to be here with you and to share the scriptures with you, um, and, and a particularly challenging text. And I don't mean challenging to preach. It's actually quite easy to preach. Uh, it's challenging to you and, and to me and our cultural climate. Um, and so, yeah, bring you greetings from, from my family. As he's already mentioned, they'll be joining us in the next service. And um, so we're, uh, I, I don't know how you feel about Branson, but I didn't grow up around here. So we're going to do a little Branson thing um, here. In a, we've never done that before. So just take it easy. Be patient with us, you know. But anyways, so I'm thankful for you guys in this region and, and this church. Um, I want to tell you about a, a young lady named Perpetua from early church history. She lived in the third century in what is now modern-day Tunisia, or, or kind of northern Africa, and she was a martyr. We don't know a whole lot about her that, that is prior to the story that I'm about to tell you, but the emperor at the time, and skipping over a lot of details, uh, the emperor at the time had, had and, and if you know anything about early church history, Christian history, um, it, those were not easy times. And so the emperor at this point kind of sets his crosshairs on local churches um, in, in regional kind of ways. He, he sets off to, to get various um, Christians individually who were prominent. And um, so Perpetua gets kind of swept up in this. Um, and we don't, as I said, know a whole lot about her beyond this, but she's in Carthage at the, at the time, and she's arrested for being a Christian. She's awaiting um, trial. Her father is not a believer, okay? Her dad's not a believer. She had recently come to faith, and uh, she, he, he kind of challenges her and says, look, you can just get rid of this. You just give up your faith and kind of recant. And, and her response was, can I be called anything other than what I am, a Christian? So in, in prison, um, she, is, she has a young child at the time, a very young child. I know you guys have a lot of children around here, but this, she has a baby at this point in time, and she's separated from her child, and her dad kind of seizes on that and jumps at her and says, you know, I mean, think about your child. You, I mean, you're barely able to feed your child only as much as they bring this baby to you. Um, and her, her dad responded this way. Remember, again, not, not a Christian. Have pity on my gray head. Have pity on me, your father, if I deserve to be called your father. 
If I have favored you above all your brothers, if I have raised you uh, to reach this prime for your life, do not abandon me to be uh, the reproach of men. Think of your brothers, think of your mother and your aunt, think of your child who will not be able to live once you are gone. Give up your pride. She's shaken, obviously, you would too, me, um, but she remains steadfast. She, she responds, it will all happen in the prisoner's dock as God wills. For you may be sure that we are not left to ourselves, but are all in his power. So her trial eventually comes. Um, kind of the said issue was that she refused to um, offer sacrifice to this emperor. It was kind of a, a show of worship and allegiance. And so she's brought up on these kind of trumped up charges, but, but they are factual. She would refuse to do that. Um, and so she's brought into the trial room uh, and her father brings her baby into the room uh, where she's on, on trial. And, and he says, perform the sacrifice, have pity on your baby. Um, she, she's under the fires of, of persecution at this point. She, the, the governor at the time, he responds, he's a pagan as well, have pity on your father's gray head, have pity on your infant son, offer the sacrifice for the welfare of the emperor. Just capitulate, just give over. This will all be over if you'll just do this. What's her reply? I will not. His question, are you a Christian then? Her response, yes, I am. So she's consigned along with the others. Um, so you may have heard of this, but a gladiatorial arena. And this was a long-standing process of how this would work, but they would kind of introduce various forms of torture in these gladi gladiatorial arenas. So they'd release various wild um, beasts of, of, of various kinds. They'd put gladiators out there um, to, to run the, the animals around towards the Christians and, and kind of push them in directions, and all the while you have this bloodthirsty, I mean, this is real, a bloodthirsty, you know, crowd that's just watching this and, and chanting and screaming for blood and death and all these various things. And so after a period of time, she had been uh, maimed, uh, and, and she kind of begins to try to help some of the other folks that are in there, um, but it had extended for some time, and the crowd just was not going to take it anymore, and so they're no longer asking for blood anymore, but they want to see death. And so their uh, perpetua, along with the others, were killed at, at, by a sword. Okay. So what, why, why bring this up, this very encouraging story uh, this morning? I mean, why would a mother of a nursing baby give herself over to this? I mean, it's, it's quite simple, actually, and I hope you already know. She had taken hold of a more unshakable life, one that she can't lose. And she was willing to give up the one that she could lose in order to gain that one. And she was forced to either recant and just say, look, I'm, I'm not a Christian or, or hold strong to her faith. And, and the circumstances that surrounded her, her father or her child, didn't matter in a sense. Of course they matter, but they didn't matter. She was forced to confess her faith and she did and she remained steadfast. And so what, what I'm here to do this morning, what my aim is for you, LifePoint, is, is simply that I want you to be blessed in the fullest sense of the word, uh, in the biblical sense, and, and we've been walking through these beatitudes, and, and I'm wanting you to be a citizen of this kingdom, an unshakable kingdom that she was a part of, and it's un inevitable, if you're a Christian, that you're going to be persecuted. That's inevitable. So we'll get to that in a moment. It's fallen to me to kind of run down uh, the last part of the, 
uh, of the series, and so I want to reacclimate us to the, to the text and kind of know, remind us what's going on in Matthew at the point. And so what is Matthew doing? Before you get to the Beatitudes, we can kind of isolate those, and so I want to kind of break it out of isolation a little bit and tell you what Matthew's doing up to this point. His main goal is to present Jesus, the, this kingly figure, as unarguably to you, the reader here, as uh, the new Moses and better Moses, the new Abraham and better Abraham, um, and the new David and better uh, David. Okay, that's what his goal is all the way up to the point of these Beatitudes. So if you've read Matthew before, I hope you have, Matthew 1.1 begins with, this is a genealogy of the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's tipping us off and going, this is what I'm about to do. I'm going to show you how he's the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. And he goes on in chapters 1 through 3 to show just how he is a a true and better king than, than David and, and the Davidic line. If you've read through First and Second Kings, First uh, and Second Chronicles, what you'll find is there's this litany of kind of epitaphs. And so you'll get a king. This is after David, Solomon, and then they have sons, and, and this is the line. But they'll, they'll have this king, and almost every time it'll say, and he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Sometimes you'll have a good one, Josiah, but by and large, it's, and he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he died. And he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and he died. And he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord and he died. And it just goes on and on like that. And that's 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. So we're we're poised in the New Testament for, is is anyone coming? Is anyone going to fix this situation? And we get our answer in in Matthew 3, 17. It's his baptism. and, And the Father and the Spirit accompany this baptism. And what does God the Father say? He says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He, he doesn't do what's evil in my eyes. And then we know that Jesus dies, but what else do we know about Jesus? He won't stay dead. He's the one. He's the one that is uniquely equipped to, to speak to us, to tell us, and he's the king. He's the one that is the savior, and we listen to him. So chapter 2, just continuing this idea of how uh, Matthew's agenda of showing what's going on, on on here is you have Herod, this kind of faux king um, in Israel at the time over the Jewish people, uh, and he tries to thwart, he gets wind of through prophecy that the Messiah is coming. So he tries to kill every baby boy in Bethlehem, and he fails. Where else have we seen something like, like this? It's Moses. Moses is a part of a mass genocide, but he manages to live, but, but he's incomplete and he also dies, but Jesus makes it out and he doesn't stay dead, right? Matthew 4, Jesus is taken out to the wilderness and he's tested by Satan for 40 days and he survives that test and he is sinless at the end of it. The wilderness children of Israel, they go out for 40 years and they don't do so well. They needed a, a savior. And so you're into our text, chapter 5, and, and what happens in chapter one or chapter five, verse one, uh, Jesus is, goes up on a mountain and he starts teaching. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And we're supposed to go, that sounds like Moses. But he's bringing a better word, a new kingdom word, and that's the Beatitudes. We're supposed to listen to this king, this better Moses, this better David, um, this better Abraham, because he's got a better word for us. Look at verse 11, Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. Verse 11, and we'll read through verse 12. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. 
Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is, excuse me, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the Beatitudes, generally, they provide evidence that one is a part of this heavenly kingdom, this unshakable kingdom. They're um, symptomatic, you could say. Uh, if, if this person is infected with the sickness of the Beatitudes, then they look like a Christian and they've taken hold of the kingdom. And persecution is one that, as Americans, we're not too used to and we kind of run away from. So uh, if you're familiar with the fruit of the Spirit and, and Galatians 5, you can think of that much the same. When you see these Beatitudes present in your life or in your child's life or in your spouse's life, then it's evidence that, that they are walking with Jesus. Here, here's where we're going. Three points, and they'll move rapid fire. But the first one is this. The persecuted are blessed. The persecuted are blessed. The second one is the persecuted will rejoice and be glad. The persecuted will rejoice and be glad. The third is the persecuted should expect persecution. So we'll walk through these. But the first one, as I said, the persecuted are blessed. This is verse 11. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. So we have to understand what persecution is. There's a, um, even, yeah, just a lot of confusion about what do we mean by Christian persecution. So he gives some indicators here. It's, it's two things in, in his mind in this text. It's physical and verbal assault on account of your Christian faith or walk with Christ. So the qualifier is because of me. So you, you're walking down the road and a guy punches you in the face and takes your wallet. That's not Christian persecution. That's just somebody took your wallet, right? So Christian persecution is on account of his name. You just got your wallet stolen, okay? Um, the other probably more unclear thing that, that, that I find, and, and there's, this is certainly suffering, but it's not persecution, is um, if you're enduring the trial of a sickness or, or cancer of some sort, by God's grace, you will endure that. But that's not necessarily per, uh, Christian persecution, really, the way that he has it in mind here. Or natural disasters, that would be another thing. So my family, uh, we were hit by a tornado in, when we lived in Arkansas, the motherland. Um, and uh, that was just a tornado. It was real hard, trust me, you know. But it wasn't because I was a Christian. I, I didn't get hit with a tornado. Um, being sinned against in particular, that's not persecution. So you want to be careful not to go home, you know, double-barreled with your wife, your spouse, whatever, and be like, hey, you're persecuting me at this point, you know. I mean, that might be so. That is possible if they're an unbeliever and they're, they're trying to erode your Christianity. Um, but it's not necessarily so just because someone sins against you. Uh, so we need to keep that this has to do with standing in the gap, if you will, for Christ over an ethical thing or just the faith in general. You know, I'm going to share the gospel with someone and I take some the fires of persecution on that account. The second thing in this first point we want to understand is how in the world are we supposed to understand this to be a blessing? I mean, what is, is Jesus just kind of off his rocker by saying, yes, pain is this huge blessing? Um, I think he's not. Uh, he's the Lord of all, and so surely it's us that needs to be, you know, fixed. And so what does he mean? I think it's pretty clear, but it's an otherworldly blessedness. And this is the blessing of persecution comes in intangible forms. 
It comes in, in future forms. It comes in incalculable forms. They don't necessarily tabulate appropriately. You're not going to take persecution on and then go, okay, this results in, you know, X blessings that look just like this. It's, a, it's an upside-down kingdom that doesn't make logical sense to a world in which all that matters is money and fame and power. It's, it's otherworldly. And so it's a blessing that does come in the here and now, but it's especially future. And in the here and now, it's going to look a lot like you have a closeness with Christ that can't be experienced in any other way than through the fires of persecution. That's what is happening. That's, that's how you're blessed. So that's the blessing of persecution. Second point, the persecuted will rejoice and be glad. The persecuted will rejoice and be glad. This is the first part of verse 12. He says, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. If you spend any time with Lane, I know you know who Paul is, right, in the New Testament. As far as persecution goes, Paul's the guy who shows up on the New Testament pages and like he's getting his backside whooped all over the Middle East. Like it's just painful to watch this guy's story as he takes so many physical brutalities on in 2 Corinthians, I'd encourage you to read it if you don't have anything else going on this afternoon. Read his litany of persecutions, and, and he's like, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, this is, this is great for him. He, he seems to, in, in the book of Acts, he gets like knocked out and thrown out of, of this city, uh, and then he kind of gains consciousness again, and then he walks right back in the city and starts sharing the gospel again. This is Paul. I mean, he, he takes on persecution and experiences a dependency on Jesus in a way that, that me and you, frankly, don't understand. And he is understanding what Jesus is saying here by saying, this is a blessing. You, you'll be glad and rejoice. The, this other group of apostles in Acts, right, they get beat and they run off like singing joyfully and they're like, praise the Lord, we were counted worthy to be whooped. This is different stuff than, than what we encounter every day or what rolls through your head every day. Am I right? So most Americans, me and you, I think what's symptomatic of us and maybe even, you know, how will the annals of church history talk about the church of this era? I think it will go something like, I mean, we're so spiritually anemic that we couldn't endure the gladness of persecution. That's where I think we're at. And I don't just mean you. I'm not coming in here to, you know, just trash you guys. I, I think that's just a fact of, of uh, Christianity in, in America. We like our comforts. And so we're so riddled with our comforts and our, you know, patterns of unholiness and, you know, fighting off basic, you know, sin patterns that we can't, we can't endure this kind of gladness or we don't want to. So he, you notice too, he, he mentions that it's a reward. It's a future reward. So you, you, you know, a paying it forward or a delayed gratification that the brokenness of a body here in persecution is going to be gloriously resurrected in the next life. That, that's what he's getting at. So the second point, the, um, the persecuted will rejoice and be glad in Christ. Um, and this brokenness of a body in persecution or the maligning of a reputation uh, will one day break forth into dancing in eternal life. That, that's what's going on. So the third point is this, the persecuted should expect persecution. The persecuted should expect persecution. This is the last part of verse 12. For that is how 
they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Um, in this physical, verbal assault that he's saying you shouldn't be surprised by this. And so what do I mean in this, the first word, persecuted, uh, the first persecuted word? It's just Christian. So the Christian should expect persecution or the persecuted should expect persecution. The seed of Christ, that's how we talk about Christians and in a local church even, the seed of Christ, that's you, will always be in opposition with the seed of Satan. Always. This is never going to change until the resurrection. We're always going to be in defiance of a lost world that wants to bend us to their will. And so we should assume and presume that in this life, um, we're going to receive persecution. Did you notice that all the Beatitudes, as we've kind of walked through these, that it's really um, dislocated from material stuff? It's, it's about habits of the heart, it's about the next world, and it's about otherworldly kindnesses, otherworldly blessedness, otherworldly happiness. It doesn't always register in the here and now. So here's my one takeaway for you. This is what I want you, you know, if you put this in your pocket, go home, out with it. Do something that draws the fire of persecution. I want you to do something, be bold, do something that draws the fire of persecution. I'll give you a couple examples of what I mean by that in our culture. So maybe it's that you need to be so annoyingly sharing the gospel with people at your uh, at your workplace that your boss is tempted to fire you. I mean, why have we in our culture thought that that was, uh, you know, above our Christianity? Or excuse me, below it. Why? I don't, I don't, when you read Perpetua, I don't feel like that's where she's at. Maybe it's a difficult conversation with a family member um, about how they kind of malign what the Bible thinks about sexual ethics, right? And they live differently, and you need to have a hard conversation. For goodness sake, I mean, share the gospel with this person. They're, they're a family member. And so you need to be tactful. You need to be winsome. You need to be biblical. But you don't have an option to not draw the fire of persecution. It may, it may be the disruption of the relationship, but their eternity is on the line. That's what persecution kind of pushes up to the fore, is that we're going to refuse to not share the gospel, and that's going to cause us trouble. Maybe it's with a neighbor or, or a classmate or something like that, and you want to talk to them about their view on abortion, maybe. That would be an issue. And you want to talk about the image of God, and it needs to be an informed decision, and you may take some fire for that. But it's not really a great option to just be like, yeah, I just don't think I'm going to touch on that. It's just, it just doesn't seem to be what the text is saying. I mean, we can try and mute it and act like it's not saying what it's saying, but I don't think that's a good idea. So the persecuted should expect persecution. That, that's the third point. And this is, this is not a hard text to understand. I mean, all the way through, I'm like working through it. It's just like, it's real simple. It's real basic. The trouble is, it's hard to live. That's our, that's our trouble. So in, in conclusion, I mean, who was the most ultimate persecuted person that, that, that ever lived? It was Jesus. 
And if we think about him and his most persecuted point, which, which was the cross, right? This is the heightened level. He's completely sinless. And yet he's literally, be, his life is taken from him because of falsities. The crowd is the crazy one, not the persecuted guy in this situation. And so this is his most powerful moment. When he looks most destructed, right? He's, he's being destroyed. His body is being persecuted. He's actually gaining indestructible life in the moment. Resurrection's coming three days later, but he's also gaining it for you. It's the new life that is breaking forward out of this persecution that he goes and gets yours. He goes and takes your salvation on his back and marches it up Calvary and goes and gets it. And so it's kind of similar with your persecution. You're fighting on behalf of those who don't trust the gospel, who don't believe the gospel. And when you make your life look as though it's not the important one, but rather your next life, then people stand up and go, what is up with these people? Just like we're so shocked with Perpetua. I mean, what? She left her child. And to, to be frank with you, I don't know what happened to the child after that. We don't know. But she had taken hold of this other kingdom that Jesus and his persecution gained for her. All the while he's being persecuted by these soldiers and Satan, sin and death are cackling at him. You've got the referee counting the one, two, three, he's out. But that's not the end of the story. And it's not the end of your persecution. Is that he's gaining salvation. You're working to the end to see other people come to know the love of Christ um, when you're working through your persecution and, and you want to be bold. Because this salvation that you've received, that you're sharing this good news, is, it's so rich, it's so indestructible, it's so eternal that it's worth giving up your life. It's worth giving up your, even a relationship with this family member or a classmate or whatever because you care more deeply about them than you do your own reputation or your own life. That's the point, and that's what Jesus is teaching us. And that what's, at the, what's at the core of all of that is, of course, love. I'm not trying to teach you a new gospel this morning, which is salvation by persecution. That, you, you're, you're missing it, and I've failed if that's what I did. It's love that is at the heart of all this, that, that Christ would love you so much that he would be persecuted unto death and destroy death and resurrect and sit at the right hand of the Father and intercede for you. And it's love that would push you past your own reputation past the own difficulties, your own difficulties of this relationship that you have that's, you know, you, you have to force the issue. It's love. It's because you're loved that you can love. So I, I, my challenge to you today is, is to, to recognize that, that persecution is a blessing. And in the midst of all of our kind of 401k and insurance culture, we need to grab hold of this. Because it's, it's, it's not just, you know, the Beatitudes except this one. I mean, this is symptomatic of the kingdom, and we live in an unusual era. Let me pray for us. Father, you sent your son to love us ultimately, to love us even past the difficulties of persecution um, that he endured, uh, um, gaining a mercy for us so rich uh, that, w- that we can't even grasp it. 
my suspicion is even on into eternity, since we'll never run out of space and, and, and new knowledge to be worshiping you, that, that this is part of it. The incredible nature of and magnitude of your love for us through your son and that it was pinpointed through this idea of persecution and that you give us the gift just like Paul to be persecuted. And so I pray that you'd make these people bold. <laughs> make them bold, give them a challenge to, to take on some issues that will draw the fire of persecution in our culture to make you look glorious because you are. So build us up. We need your help. This is, um, this is not an easy issue for us in our culture. Uh, so help us uh, as you do turn up the heat of persecution. In Jesus' name, amen.